and I'm like this, but they're like, oh man, I got short that with you, but I got out, you know, a week ago and the thing's 20% lower, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't get that I have to sit on it and make that 20% more because of all the losing trades I have to make up. Yes. This is the How to Trade Stocks Options Podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Are you ready to effortlessly take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes a day? Well, the 10-minute trading room is exactly what you've been looking for. Head to 10-minute trading room right now to learn more and trade alongside us inside the 10-minute trading room. Be sure to like, subscribe, and watch all of our past episodes. All right. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks on Stocks and Options podcast. I am super stoked because we have market wizard Jason Shapiro on with us. Jason was featured in Jack Schwager's Unknown Market Wizards, and uh, you are actually the fifth market wizard that I've had the opportunity to meet with and learn from. So Jason, I am super, super stoked to be able to have you on the line here. And of course, I've got a million questions. Tell me how your day's going. I had a good day. Thank you. Yeah. With the Fed move, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, tell me real quick, how did you get into trading? How did how did all that get started? Um, I first started trading. I had my first real job. I worked in Hong Kong for HSBC. I was a banker, which uh, was not very exciting. Um, and one of my friends who played on my softball team was a Hang Seng Index Futures broker. And he got me into trading the Hang Seng Index Futures as a way to break up my boredom during the day. And uh, it just kind of went from there. Gotcha. So so you've always been a futures trader then? I have always traded futures. The first thing I ever traded was a futures contract. Yeah. Without even yeah. knowing what the hell it meant. But yeah. What do you think about the futures market just in general with the, the way that it's it's evolved so much over the years, uh, you know, with ticks and spreads and, and the liquidity and everything has changed? Get, which, what's your background or what are your opinions on, on the changes you've seen across the years? I don't know. I mean, has it really changed? Market goes up, market goes down, you buy, you sell, you know, I mean, there's more liquidity, so it's great. You can move more money in there um, in most of the things anyway, not all of them. And they've yeah. created smaller contracts, so that's good. So you can size a lot better, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm trading uh, quite a bit of money, I still use uh, a lot of the smaller contracts, like the um, e-minis, the e-minis, and yeah. and you know, even like with silver, I, I use like the micros and stuff like oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah, just because I have you know a few different accounts and they're sized differently, you know, I whatever X million dollars here and X million, so I have to kind of make them as even as possible. Mm, that so makes sense. I use that stuff, so I think they've done a good job, personally. So let me let me let me try and um, break it down real quick. So you started trading with the Hang Seng, or did I say that right? Hang Seng futures. Yes. Where? How did that evolve? What do you mean by how did that evolve? How did I start? How, how did that evolve to to being the fact that you were managing hundreds of million do- of dollars and and oh, one of the market wizards? I, I'm sure that that was quite a ride. Very very long long ride. Yeah, yeah, very long ride. But uh, really what it came down to was the first day I put on a, a, a future a, a trade. I didn't really know what I was doing. you know. <laughs> um, and I went out for lunch that day and there was a bookstore across the street. And uh, I figured I'd buy a book. I'd always been a, a big reader. So I figured I'd buy a book and try to figure out what I was doing. And uh, mm-hmm. the first book that was there that I just happened to get was the first Market Wizards book. Ah. Um, and I read that. That night, I was done before I went to sleep that night, and I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Um, 
not knowing, unfortunately, what that meant. What I should have done is buy a How to Become a Lawyer book and just go. <laughs> um, but as it turned out, I bought a, tri- a Market Wizards book and uh, and it, it sucked me in. And um, and that was really how the whole journey kind of started and, and where I wanted to get to. When you were reading that Market Wizards book, did you ever imagine that you would be featured in one? I, I mean, to me, the Market Wizards are like the all-stars, right? The retired jerseys that hang across the stadium. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's sort of what you think, right? When you're a stupid young kid, oh, one day I want to be a market wizard, you know? I mean, ironically, but when, when he did call me and he wanted to do it with me and I went and I met with him and I spoke with him and I kind of was anti being in the book at that point. You know, this is sort of how the cycle of life works, right? By the time you get there, you don't want to do it anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, but what was your I, hesitation I, about being in the book? I mean, what was the point at that point? You know what I mean? I, I wasn't looking to prove anything to anyone. I also am a little bit um, uh, superstitious. And I feel like, you know, you start putting yourself in print as a market wizard and you, you're setting yourself up, uh, you know, to fail, you know. So I've, I've known a lot of people that, you know, have been featured in books and that was the end of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want it to be the end of me. It's much more important for me to make money um, for my clients in, in the markets than it is for me to be in, you know, some book and, you know, show my mom, hey, look, I was in a book, you know. <laughs> um, so I was a little bit hesitant, but in the end, I did it. You know, my friends were like, just do it. You know, we used to quote market wizards, I mean, 10 times a day when I was yeah. a kid, So, yeah. I believe it. I mean, I, I have quotes on my wall over there from Steve Cohen, Larry Height. And and Minervini and and all them and so I mean uh, I mean it's incredible that you've been able to do that. So Jack, so of course I went back and listened to your your interview with him on uh, Audible today. He described your approach to the market as unique and thought provoking. What's your opinion on that? Why why would you consider your approach to the market unique and thought provoking? I think that I look at the markets um, differently than certainly uh, most of the things that you hear or read or or whatever um i I have a belief system about how the market works that is not really what i find most people believe is how the market works so i guess that makes it maybe thought-provoking how does it work i think that the market is a discounting mechanism Mm -hmm. and therefore the discounting mechanism um is is positioning you know um I saw a guy on TV the other day say, you know, and he's bearish the stock market. And um, he said something like, you know, I, I understand that, you know, people were sort of short here, but, you know, positioning in psychology is not everything. And that's where I would disagree. I think positioning and, and, and sentiment is everything. I think that's all there is, right? Yeah. Um, in particular, when it comes to trying to make money in the market, which is what we're trying to do, right? Yeah. Not that fundamentals mean nothing. It's that to get an edge on fundamentals to me is impossible, right? You've got 40,000, you know, CFAs out there and MBAs and they're all going through balance sheets and they're all forecasting the economy and they're all doing, how are you, how are you getting an edge there? I just, I just don't know. You know, I don't see how it's possible. Um, so to me, positioning and sentiment is everything. Look at look at today. The, the Nasdaq's up three hundred points. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody came in today. Oh well, if the Fed is hawkish, it's going down, and if the Fed is you know is not hawkish, it's going up. Well, the Fed was as hawkish as they could be, and the market yeah. went straight up. Why is yeah. that? You know, it certainly wasn't fundamentals. Right. It was positioning. People are, as I've been sort of putting out on my 
on my newsletter and I've been putting out on Twitter the last few weeks, people are massively short and bearish. That's all it was, period, the end. You can't tell me something that he said today or something that the Fed did today that was going to cause the NASDAQ to go up 300 points. There's nothing in there fundamentally. I don't care what you say. It was all positioning. They were all short and they heard the news and they got even more short and then it ripped their faces off. That's it. Right. So when you when you when you talk about that positioning sentiment and discount mechanism, what do you mean by discount mechanism? So the market is a discounting mechanism, right? We know that. We learn that in Finance 101, right? Right. But what does it mean to you to be a discounting mechanism? So it's discounting all the inf- the known information is in is in the current price. Mm-hmm. So there's no edge unless you have some kind of information that nobody knows, which I've said before is called inside information and you go to jail for that. So you're not going to win. Unless you're in Congress. Let's be real here. Okay. Unless you're in Congress. (laughs) So there you go. Unless you're in Congress, there's no way to have that kind of information that's better than than what's being discounted in. So how are you going to, you know, trade that way if you don't have that? And to me, it's not the price that discounts something in. You know, a lot of people like to be contrarian. Okay. Here, this thing has gone from 100 to 300. I'm going to be contrarian. I'm going to short it. That to me is not contrarian, right? Um, contrarian to me is everybody is long this thing. So I'm going to short it, right? That's positioning to me. Mm-hmm. The positioning has discounted in all the good news, not the price. You know, I had people tell me, I had some pretty famous fights on, on LinkedIn a few years ago with a guy who was saying that Amazon was a huge short, right? And um, this was when Amazon was on its way up, you know? And everybody was saying that Amazon was a huge short. Amazon was a huge short. I'm like, I don't know the first thing about Amazon, what they do. I mean, obviously I buy stuff on Amazon, but what money they make, what their valuation is, I have no idea. All I know is if everybody's saying it's a huge short, it ain't a huge short yet, okay? And I think doubles from there, right? Um, because it wasn't the fact that it went up a lot it was the fact that people still weren't super long yet, right? They were fading it. And so they were going to get ripped, right? Um, and it's the same thing. You hear that now from people, right? Oh, the market is is certainly not discounting in a recession here. Well, what makes you say that? Oh, well, because the S&P is only, you know, X percent off its all-time highs. That can't be discounting a recession. That's a price thing. And I think that's wrong. I think that people are discounting recession because people are massively short, okay? So... That's a participation thing. And that's so, to what moves markets. Or at the very least, that's what gives you good risk reward in putting on a trade to make money. Sure. So help me help me break this down. So back in my early career of trading, um, I considered myself, this is some of the mentors that I learned from, a contrarian trader. But their style of contrarian trading was if price had gone up to 100, you basically sell calls against it until your face bleeds. And <laughs> that was like the worst possible case for me it seemed like every time i did that it always ran me over exactly and so <laughs> when i i talked to minervini about this specifically and i was like mark you call yourself a contrarian but yet when i are con- am a contrarian to price i get ran over just like i mentioned to you and he's like yeah that's not exactly what i mean by that what i mean and this is mark's words what i mean is if it's gone to 100 everybody thinks it has to go down at that point but in my opinion it is only getting started and it could continue on forever. So, so break down to me, if you, if you don't mind, what, what does contrarian mean to you? Because it seems like there's a disconnect between price and, and uh, positioning in this case. Contrarian to me means positioning. 
not price. I, I don't care about price. Now, is there a correlation between something going straight up and people getting very long? Sometimes there is, you know. Um, let me put it this way. If there were two assets and you looked at the charts and the charts were exactly the same, they were both 45 degree angle up, right? And one of them, everybody you knew was long. And the other one, nobody you knew was long. Which one do you think has a better chance of, of extending upwards, right? And I will argue all day, it's the one that nobody you know is long versus the one that everybody you know is long. If everybody's already long, let's take the most extreme example, okay? Let's say some market, every person in the world had every dollar they had in that. Then how could it possibly go up? I don't There's care. There's no what, more room. There's no more I don't buyers. Care what the news is? I don't care if you get the most bullish news in the history of the world. If there's no more money to go into it, it, it cannot go up, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, now, clearly, that example is impossible, but on a relative basis, you know that's what I look for. And if you look at market tops and market bottoms, I mean, clearly at the top, the market always looks best fundamentally. By definition because why would everybody be long because it looks best fundamentally and the trend yeah. is up and all the other reasons right and same thing at the bottom right everybody's out and everybody's short because the fundamentals are, are so bad and the trend is so bad and, and the action is so bad that's what a bottom looks like the market doesn't go up on good news forever and then all of a sudden you get some bad news and then it starts going down and there's bad news and then you get some good news. Then it starts going. It's, that's not how markets turn. You know, midway through that, you start getting that right. Like now you watch. Now we'll start getting some good news for the stock market. Right. Um, but we haven't had not one piece of good news in the stock market since right. the bottoms. Not not one piece of good news. Yeah. Microsoft earnings, whatever yeah. earnings, all the earnings have been horrible. There hasn't been a single piece of good news yet. Does that mean that the Nasdaq isn't up 15% in five weeks? Mm -hmm. You know, so you tell me, well, what do you want to be? You know, do you want to be, do you want to make money or, or do you want to make arguments about the fundamentals of the market? You know, so, so let me, let me ask you this. How do you quantify? Cause, cause your analogy of if all the buyers are in this one stock, clearly it can't go any higher because everybody's already bought it. That I get that completely. How do you quantify that? So I look at a few data sets. Um, I like to look at the commitment to traders data, um, which shows positioning. Um, I like to look at things like all what I would call participation data, you know, put call ratio. That's that's participation data. Right. Um, so that's kind of what I do quantitatively. And then qualitatively, I spend a lot of time that um, people think I am. They make fun of me. My friends make fun of me, but I watch. I can see it from right here. I, I watch the TV and I listen to the commentators. You know, I watch the aftermarket shows, right? And everyone's like, oh, those guys are bozos. Why do you watch that? And I'm like, that's exactly why I watch it. You know, I watch it because they are bozos. <laughs> I mean, so I'm looking for mass consensus, mass consensus, and which also shows up in, in this other data. That That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking to fade. So would you say that your your style of trading is more discretionary versus rules-based? It's 100% rules-based, but I do use some discretion. But the, the, there's definitely a rule. Everybody has to be long for me to look to be, <laughs> for me to look to be short. Yeah. yeah. And the market then has to confirm before I get short. I'm not just going to short it because I'll get run over. You know, being contrarian, mm -hmm. you have to be very cognizant of getting run over, right? So the market has to confirm before I do anything. And those are the rules. Everyone's got to be long. The market has to confirm and then I go with it and then I have a, 
you know, a stop that doesn't get changed and all that and an exit strategy that doesn't get changed. So those are all rules based. I, I, wouldn't, call it, I wouldn't call it a system, but I call it a process. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of your exit strategy, what is a, what is an ideal exit look like to you? Do you pyramid into trades and then no. take it all off at once or do you peel it off as you go? Nope. I get in once. Um, and my size, I size it once versus my stop. I'm risking a fixed amount per trade from my entry to my stop. And then I just sit and I either get stopped and I lose that fixed amount, which happens a lot. Um, or I sit and I rate and I ride it until what I was trying to do goes away. So what was I trying to do? I was trying to get long something that everybody was short, but when everybody's no longer short, then I get out. There's no edge to me there. You know, what percent of risk are you taking on these trades? I risk 70 basis points a trade. Oh, wow. 70 basis points. Which That's puts really me, tight. Well, it puts my vol at like, you know, about a seven or eight annual mm -hmm. vol, which is where I want to be. You know, remember, I'm not managing my own money. You know, I'm managing institutional money. I'm not looking to put up 100% a year like a lot of people are, right? 15% a year. Don't draw down 5%. That's all I'm really looking to do. Gotcha. So what, res what represents a good setup to you when you're looking at this? You've got all of the um, market sentiment indicators pointing bullishly. Let's just use that for example. Mm -hmm. You've got all the market sentiment, sentiment indicators. Um, well, I guess you could say everybody has decided that it's bearish, so now it's time to go bullish. Mm -hmm. What represents a good setup technically to you? What do you mean by technically? Uh, do you use any sort of moving averages or nothing like that? The only thing that I use is on my entry, mm -hmm. which 95% of the time is a, a reversal candle. Um, but it has to be reversal candle. So you want to talk about, let's talk about a buy. Okay. Yeah, please. Let's talk about the low on the yeah. stock market, on the S&Ps. Okay. Sure. Um, which were. Here, I'll, I'll um, pull it up here while, while you're talking and we'll, we'll be able to have it live as we go. Yeah. This was on uh, what? October 13th. October 13th. Right. Was the low. Oh, I had to go back a little bit. Sorry. Yep. See that green aura? Yeah, the big the big okay. green candle right there. Yep. So what happened on that day? So it opened down mm -hmm. and then tremendously came back up with all, with and what all was the, what was the news on that day? That was CPI day, okay? Mm. And at the time, CPI was all anybody cared about, right? Um and that CPI came out that day not only the largest CPI of the year and CPI be coming out too high all year, right? That was the largest CPI of the year, and it was much higher than anyone is expecting, which is more important, right? It was higher than expected, right? That's the main thing. Very bearish. There was nothing not bearish about that, that CPI, right? Which, right. Which, which is the main number that everybody was focusing on. So it gave bears every reason in the world to short, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody sold that low right after CPI, right? Now, in my eyes, knowing how hard trading is, the market had been going down since what november november let's, let's, right okay so this guy waited this entire time for that cpi number to come out to get short i'm sorry that, that's not how markets do work man they're not that easy right that like i was saying before that's how they bottom right and that's exactly how it did bottom so it closed up that day so i look at that and i say okay everybody's too bearish everybody's too short right and by the way, I had felt that way from way before this. I just never got the market confirmation, which I have to say is the most important thing, right? Which which was this big reversal candle. 
big reversal candle on a hugely negative day, on a hugely negative fundamental print, right? That's the important thing. I call it news failure. Mm -hmm. So it should have been down because of that, that, that CPI number, right? And it wasn't. It closed up. And why is that? In my view, it's because everyone's already short, right? So I buy that close right there. And my stop is that low. So now I have a size, right? Because I know what my stop is. And it's not just some random stop. It's a stop that makes sense. This person that sold that post CPI print should never, ever make money. You should never get paid doing that. If trading were that easy, then we'd all be rich, right? Uh -huh. You should never get paid doing that. So if you do get paid, well, then I'm wrong. And the market's obviously much weaker than I thought. So there's my stop. There's my entry. I size it, entry to stop, and then I just sit on it. Do you do you enter at the close of the day? I'm Ever supposed take? to enter at the close of the day. Sometimes I will start to enter a little bit before. If, if ultimately I'm going to buy 100 S&Ps, mm -hmm. if I'm really feeling it, then I might buy 10 of them. You know, when the print first happens, just in case. And as it starts to go up during the day, I might add to it. But if I don't, then yes, I'll just buy the close. But sometimes, you know, I'll get in a little bit earlier. And sometimes that hurts me. You know what I mean? I'll try to get in early. And then, then we didn't get this failure. We didn't get the reversal day. And I have to piss out at the end of the day, right? But hopefully I didn't do too many by that point, right? Um, so in theory, the close of the day. So let's, let's use this as an example. Uh, let's say you're getting in at the close of the day. And it's not hit your exit point. Where do you take profits along this way? So now I'm monitoring this data. I'm monitoring the long short. I'm monitoring the bull bear. I'm monitoring, you know, all this kind of stuff. And when that goes neutral, because I take this data and I turn it into an oscillator, right? So when my oscillator goes neutral, which means that it doesn't mean people are super long now. It just means people are not long or short. So there's no edge for me for what I do, right? So when my oscillator goes neutral, I, I get out. And then are you waiting for another bullish reversal candle to get back in? Like maybe well, now I'm waiting here? for my oscillator to get, you know, whacked out one way or the other again first, right? Either people are going to get too long or people are going to get too short. That's first. Once that happens, then I'm waiting for the news failure reversal candle. Yeah. Hmm. So how long would you say you go between trades? Like, let's say, for example, you got in here on the 13th and I, I'm going to do you do you approximately know when you got out or if you've gotten out? I'm still long, bro. <laughs> Oh, you're still long from there? Yes. Wow, look at that. So that's from 350 to 410. Yeah, and I bet people are calling you crazy the entire time. Drawdown in the meantime, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. It was a big move down in December. It hurts, but you know. Well, I mean, looking at this, this looks like a huge breakout here. Does that mean anything to you? Do you look at breakouts? <laughs> I mean, I look at charts, but I don't trade breakouts. I, I hope everybody thinks it's a huge breakout. And I hope they all go chase it now. Because, yeah. Uh, you know, I'd love to have a nice February. Yeah. So when you say you'd love for people to go chase it now, does that mean that you would like a, a bullish entry on that? Or do you feel like that would be the exhaustion point? I think that if they chase it, if they start getting out of their shorts and if they start, you know, being forced out of their shorts, then my stuff is going to show up. Is okay. They're not short anymore. Okay. Now I got to get out. Mm, okay. Right. And then you're waiting for that bearish reversal candle on news. to get Well, I'm waiting first for the oscillator to get to where they're super long now which could take, I don't know how long, you know, I mean, I'll be out of the market until it happens, but I trade 35 different markets. So yeah, you know, there's no difference to me between, I know everybody loves trading S and P's, 
there's no difference between between lumber and, and S and P's and orange mm-hmm. juice and the euro and and soybeans. They're, they're all exactly the same to me. So what what is in your oscillator? Is that like your own proprietary oscillator? Is that something that is available on the data? You know, um, put call ratios. You know, stuff all participation data like that. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So how long did it take for you to develop this style of trading? When when you look at the markets, right, and you're taking this contrarian approach, I can imagine that this wasn't something that just popped up overnight. The contrarian idea always stuck struck home with me. But I think like most people that try to be contrarian when they start, uh, exactly what you were talking about earlier, I was thinking, oh, this thing's gone up a lot. I'm going to short it. And it didn't take very long to learn that that was not the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I learned that. <laughs> yeah, I paid a lot to learn that. That's right. I paid a lot too, man. You're talking about, you know, I, I went broke more than once, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I quickly learned that's not the way to do it. So I sort of started looking at it and, you know, I had some people that I worked with. I had this crazy guy that I worked with for a while who would just fade everybody. You know? <laughs> and he was crazy, but you know what? He made money all the time, right? Um, this was my very first job where I worked in like a retail brokerage thing in Hong Kong. And if you just think about it, if you just back up and think about it for a second, this guy was an older guy and had been in the markets for a very long time. Um, and he was a very smart guy, but here's a bunch of, you know, kids in their twenties, you know, trying to trade the market and whip around. What are the chances that they're going to make money over time? It, it approaches zero, right? So if you're smart, you just sit back and you just fade everything that these guys do, right? Mm-hmm. And you make money. And if you can fade them when they're all acting the same way at the same time, it increases the odds. So that struck home with me. So I started. So, you, so you're observing them all in this, this, uh, I, mean, I was mentality. one of those guys. I was one of them. I'm a 23 year old kid that just okay. got in the market. You know, I'm going to make money. I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what are the chances? It, it, it approaches zero very quickly. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I observed what he was doing and it made perfect sense to me. And so I said, okay, how do we start measuring that? Right. How do we start measuring that? Um, and I really didn't find the commitments of traders um, until 2000. Um, I was shorting the NASDAQ for the second half of 1999, right? Trying to be contrarian. I don't know if you were around then. When it's going straight up at that point, right? Yeah. The second yeah. half of 99, no matter where you went, no matter who you talked to, no matter where you were, all anybody was talking about was how much money they were making buying nasdaq stocks right so there's me mr contrarian genius and i'm shorting it and you know what the nasdaq went up 50 percent in the second half of 1999 and you had positions on as it's going i was trying to short it the whole time i was i was good enough at that point that i knew i had to stop out you know what i mean but i wasn't making no money i can tell you that right um so and then finally it did top you know in early 2000 um, and everybody that made all that money lost it all. Okay. I, I always say like, if you were still long those stocks in the beginning of 2000, then clearly you weren't looking at anything like valuation because those things were overvalued the, uh, you know, a year. Well, that's kind of what happened for like all of COVID, right? 100%. It seemed like everything was going straight up and, and, you know, there was all the meme stocks and, and all the people 100%. who thought they were trading gurus. hundred percent. And then they've lost it all in 2022. Correct. So we've yeah. seen the, I've seen this cycle more than once, right? So that's where you learn the patience, you know, of it's like just because these guys you think are going to lose money, that doesn't mean that they can't make money for a while. You know that they're going to lose money 
over time. But the more they make now, the more they're going to lose later. So let them make their money for a while. Be patient. Wait for the market to confirm. And if you look at this, the commitments to traders data, it really didn't show that speculators were massively long um, the NASDAQ until January of 2000. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, I got to start paying attention to this data because that would have kept me from getting short that whole time. And did I get short in 2002? Yes. But, you know, I was also short in, you know, August, September, October, November, December. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that would have kept me from doing that. Right. And the famous story is that, you know, uh, Miller, who's mm -hmm. for me one of my idols, um, he was shorting all those NASDAQ names at the same time that I was. Um, and he got run over and then he finally gave in and actually got super long. And you know what? Right when he did that is right when the commitment of traders showed everybody had gotten long. So you needed these big guys to capitulate. And once yeah. they did, it was over. Right. Um, and it's very similar to what happened, you know, post COVID to me. Uh, so there you have it. That's how I got into the commitment of traders data. You know, it's all about, I and mean, what I find, you know, commitment of traders data is not, some kind of magic wand, you know, um, has it picked a lot of turns for me? Market turns? Yes. Um, have I gotten stopped out of a lot of trades and it's been totally wrong? Yes. But I find more than anything else, it keeps me out of trouble. If I can't short something until it shows that people are super long, yeah, I might miss it short. So what? You know what I mean? I miss trades all the time. I have 35 markets that I trade. All of them move every day. Yeah. I'm in three of them. You know what I mean? So there's 32 that I'm missing. I miss trades right. all the time. Bummer, right? I don't care if I miss trades. I just want to have the best risk reward trades on over time that I can have. And that's what that helps me do. So when you trade all 35 markets, do you trade them all the same? Or is there a way to get that commitment of traders data for each of the 35 markets? Yes. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So all U.S. futures contracts have a commitment of traders data. Oh, I did not know that. I'll have to go Google that up. What is your favorite market to trade? I have no. Sure you do. You got to have one. You're like, oh, I love the Nasdaqs. It's so much, no, so much more interesting. <laughs> I, I don't. Not only don't I not have a favorite trade, I hate them all. <laughs> That's a better answer right there. <laughs> what do you What do you hate about them all? You know, you know how this is, man. There's no sleep. There's no, you know, there's a lot of stress. There's no sleep. There's, you know, you get risk on all the time, you know, and you, I take this very seriously. I manage people's money, you know, and uh, and I take it very seriously. And I, I don't like to fail. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, stress there, you know, yeah. even if you even if you believe that what you're doing works over time and even if what I do has been working over time and I'm giving my clients exactly what I tell them I'm going to give them, which I am doing. OK, that's all wonderful. Um, my wife can still tell you within five minutes of walking in the door, whether I had an up or down just by the look on my face. You know? So, you know, I mean, if I truly hated them, then I would just stop doing it. I, I mean, obviously I love doing what I'm doing, but, um, you know, it's, a uh, like I say, I, I should have been a lawyer. That's what I tell everybody that comes to me. Hey man, I want to trade full time. I do yourself a favor, man. Go to law school. My, brother, my brother's a lawyer, $300 an hour, every hour that he spends, right? Uh, I spend 18 hours a day in front of these things. I'm getting paid zero and 30 from my clients. So, you know what I mean? I could spend 18 hours a day all year and get paid zero at the end of the year. So, Well, yeah. I was going to ask you when, when you are trading, are you trading all 24 hours and all 35 markets? That seems impossible. 
No, to me, the 35 markets are like, it's like you're counting cards, right? In, in blackjack, there's 35 tables out there and I'm waiting for the card count to get too high on one of the tables. And then I go to that table and that's where I make a trade. You have like maybe three to five trades on at any one time. And I'm not like day trading them and I'm not intraday trading them and I'm not doing all that. But for whatever sick reason, over the 30 years I've been doing this, I've developed this habit of, of sitting here and watching it anyway. You know, I feel like I'm picking something up just by watching it. And really what I'm picking up is because where I do use some discretion is once I have a portfolio of trades on, if I have five, six trades on, I'm now looking at the portfolio risk and I, I know I can run, you know, value at risk or whatever, but I think that's all garbage. I think I can do a better job of watching the correlations myself. So I'm watching really what I'm paying attention to most of the day is the correlations across markets, right? To see what, where that is, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what is moving those markets so that I can understand what a news failure event is. In the stock market, it's pretty obvious that it was a CPI thing, but what's a news failure event in, you know, soybean meal right now, right? What's a news failure event in, in, in orange juice? You know, so I'm really watching and listening and paying attention to those so that I know what the story behind what is moving these markets right now. So when that story fails, I can go the other way. And that's, that's an interesting point I hadn't considered is what is a news failure event? What, what would, could you give me an example of a news failure event for soybeans? Sure. I mean, uh, the inventory reports come out every month. The next one comes out next Wednesday, I believe. So you get uh, some kind of real bullish inventory number, right? You know, planting number or whatever it is. And again, I can't even tell you the, the details of it. I, I just don't know that enough about it. I'm not going to pretend like I do. I'm never going to know as much of a, as a farmer, right? I'm never going to, I'm not a fundamental soybean trader. It becomes pretty obvious because the, you know, the, the WASA report comes out on a Wednesday and at 12 o'clock and at 12.01, soybeans gap up 5%. You can be pretty assured it was bullish news, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm watching for that type of stuff. How do you balance all of this? Because it sounds like I say, it's exhausting. It sounds like with, with so many opportunities out there, um, how do you balance it? I don't think I do a very good job. I can sit here and tell you that I do this and I do that. And, you know, I play guitar and, you know, I, I took up guitar a few years ago as a way to get away and, and take But You know what? I don't practice nearly as much as I want to or nearly as much as I plan to because I sit here and I do this shit all day. Mm -hmm. You know, when I had kids, I still have kids, but they're grown up now, you know, but when they were little children, it was a little easier because I had to do stuff with them all the time. Hey, we got to go to the little league game. We got to go to the soccer game. We got to go to dance. We got to go here and there. Right. So I could get away a lot more. Now my kids are all grown up. I live here alone with my wife who works all day, mm -hmm. you know, comes home at, you know, four o'clock. And then I take, I usually take a nap from four to six. Um, which then keeps me up until like, you know, one or two o'clock since I'm all rested. So what am I going to do? Well, I mean, I work out of my house. I, I can see my TV right over there. If I want to watch the baseball game, I can turn it on right there. And what am I going to do? I can sit on the couch or I can sit right here and just pay attention to the markets. You know what I mean? And so that's what I do just out of habit. Now, having said that, we started this crowded market report and in there we got a discord page. So mm -hmm. we now have a whole bunch of people on our discord page and I have friends that I can talk to, you know, yeah about Very markets good. and sometimes we'll talk about sports and music and you know all this stuff so that's helped too right what do you think about these people who portray the trading trading lifestyle 
the the Lambo. Uh, there, there's one. I think, particular I think they're morons. I think yeah, the, there's one particular person I've seen, and I had to I had to block him not because he's done anything wrong to me personally, but I it's couldn't annoying. see his feed anymore because it would be him flying in a helicopter to go from A to B to go trade at this place where he took a helicopter to, and then he'd have this screenshot of how much money he made that day, and then he'd take a McLaren back home, and I'm like, this is not real life, and and coming from somebody like yourself who's managed, you know, pushing a billion dollars at one point, it sounds like. What, what's your opinions on this? I bought a new car two years ago. I bought this nice Toyota RAV4 Prime. The reason that I bought the RAV4 Prime was because it was in the middle of COVID when they had no cars. Mm-hmm. The only choice was the RAV4. I wanted to get a Toyota because I know those are good cars. They had one RAV4 that was like $20,000 and had nothing, like rolled down windows. And then the only other one they had was the RAV4 Prime, which has everything. I don't really yeah. like everything because everything breaks down, all those electronics, and I don't like to deal with that, but I did buy that. The reason I bought that was because my youngest kid was going to school and wanted a car, so I gave her my car, um, which was a 1989 Toyota 4Runner. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. So that's how I feel about that. Oh, my god! When I was 24 years old and I first made a bunch of money in the market, I went and I bought a Porsche. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, I bought, I was in Hong Kong. I bought a Porsche from Jackie Chan's collection. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't meet Jackie Chan, but he was driving that car at one point. I bought it. It was a Porsche 930 Turbo. And I thought I was the, you know, obviously the coolest kid in the world. I'm 24 yeah. years old. Look at me. I drive a Porsche. Well, you know what? This is 12 months later. I couldn't even afford to put gas in the freaking thing. Okay. Um, I think that. And a lot of this has to do with some very deep life things and some Buddhist things and all this. But I think a simple life is the best life you can live, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. I think as a trader, my whole financial world, and you got to remember, you know, I have some money now, but I went through a very long time where I didn't have money. Okay. My whole financial world is based around not needing money because the less money that you need, the better you can trade. Right. The more you need it, the more you force trading. And as soon as you force trading, you, you start losing. Right. My whole world is centered. My whole financial planning world is centered around not needing to have money so that I can just focus on what's a good trade, not how am I going to make money. Right. I have to put this trade. You know, I, I, I can avoid FOMO. I can avoid all that stuff because I don't care. Right. I don't have a mortgage. Right. And I don't live in a, a, a $10 million house. You know what I mean? Um, I live in a normal house, a very normal house. Um, and I drive very normal cars. I don't have any car payments. I don't have any mortgage on my house. I don't have anything. I put my kids' college education school away a long time ago. Uh, and, and my company too. You know, I had a CTA where I had a bunch of people working for me and we had a huge nut and it was horrible. Okay. Mm. I'm a one man operation now. You know, I have people call me up. Hey, you know, what do you think your capacity is? I say, my capacity is how much you guys will allow me to manage as long as I'm a one-man operation. So I'm not hiring anybody, okay? I don't want the nut. I don't want any of that. I work out of my house. I run my business on about $15,000 a year, okay? Mm, Wow. So, like, to me, besides the non-trading aspect of it, which I think is the best life you can live is a simple life anyway, for trading, it's even that much more important, Right. You can't need money. Otherwise, you can't trade. It, 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 it's really that simple. 
you know, as stupid as that sounds, we trade to make money. Okay. But if you're forcing the money thing, your trading is going to go downhill. I, I, I guarantee it. You're going to chase trades. You're going to miss trades. You're going to wish you didn't miss them. And then you're going to chase them right at the wrong time. We've all been through this, right? I don't chase trades because I don't, I, I don't, I don't need it. You know what I mean? I don't need it. I wait and I can be, people are like, how can you be so disciplined through your process? You sit there all day. You're not telling me that there's different trades you want to put on. And I'm telling you, no. Okay. Because I have made a choice that I would rather make money. This is not about a thrill to me. This is not about a hobby to me. This is not about it's fun to me. Okay. This is about, I manage something and I try to do it as professionally as possible. And one of the ways that I can do that is not worry about the money. Just worry about, is this the right trade? Is this the trade that fits my process that I believe works over time? Period. That's it. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of my mentors ages ago told me to stop focusing on the money and focus on the process. And the money just comes automatically. 100%. It doesn't come even then. It doesn't come automatically. Okay. <laughs> right. But that's 100% what this is. It's all about process. And I think that everything in life is really about that. Have a process that works and stick to it because when you get off that process or it stops working, now you're mad. So now you got to go make up for it. Oh, I can't believe I got off my process and I got long cotton and that was a mistake and I lost my, well, now I'm going to chase cotton forever, right? Mm -hmm. I got to go get my money back in cotton that I lost that I shouldn't have lost. And you're just going to dig yourself in a hole a hundred times over, right? Yeah. So I think that's, that's what it is. People have a hard time understanding that, but I think that's the most important thing there. This is about process. It's not about, it's not about money. Focus on the process. Take the trades that have the risk reward over time and don't get mad when one doesn't work. 37% of my trades make money. Okay. That means just 37%. So, so two thirds don't make any money at all. Yes. Yeah. They lose. Not forget they don't make money. They lose money. Yeah. I get stopped out. Right. So whatever. You know I mean? <laughs> well, my no, it's job, great to hear like real life trading because I mean, nobody talks about this. Is, this is oh, not what's put out there. Is to, get, is to make sure I get stopped out when that happens. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not to wish that I didn't get stopped out. Not to say, oh, I'm not going to stop on this one because I'm sick of taking losses. Not to say, oh, I just took four losses in a row. I don't want to take a fifth one. No. My job is to make sure I get stopped out on that one so that I lose 70 basis points. Because then when I make on the other 37%, right, I, I make, you know, 400 basis points. Right. So if I can lose 70, lose 70, lose 70, make 400, lose 70, lose 70, lose 70, make 400, do the math, right? That's all this is. I that, That's my job is to stick. My job before was to come up with the process. Okay. But now my job is to do the process. That's it. Is there a way that you could, you feel that you could ever automate this with uh, maybe a trading system of some kind? I mean, some I have automated When I ran my CTA before, we ran it 100% automated. Oh, and I hated it because... Uh, That's not what I expected. <laughs> it was return degradation. You know what I mean? And I, and I don't like that. It still made money. But uh, I closed my, my firm down. I, I got divorced and closed my firm down. And I took like two years off. Mm -hmm. um, and we were doing that then because we, we had to raise money, right? Because I had a huge nut and I had all these people. And they all wanted to make a million dollars a year. So I had to get the assets under management up. You know what I mean? And people were putting us into their systematic you know, funds. Yeah, yeah. So we had to run it systematically. Okay, great. But there was return degradation and I hated it. So when I came back, I didn't do any of that. I went to someone I knew. I said, and they just get, you know, they're a prop shop so they could care less as long as you make money. You know, that's their attitude. Make money, otherwise leave. You're gone, right? They don't care what I do. So that's when I started to do sort of this mix of what was that system along with some discretion, especially on the risk management side on top of it. 
And uh, that was about, I don't know, five, six years ago I started doing that. And since that time, my returns have, uh, have been the best they've ever been. So again, it all comes, and I, and I still have on TradeStation, on my desk right here, my system. And I measure my returns versus the system returns. Because if the system returns are better than mine, well, then what am I wasting time using any discretion at all for, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I monitor that. You know what I mean? And if it wasn't the case, then I, I wouldn't do it, right? Like I say, this is all about getting the best risk adjusted returns you can. So if something is not doing that, well, then you got to get rid of it, right? Right. But what that it's showing me is that the discretion has been, the, has been helping me improve my risk adjusted returns by a lot. So. You know, I really appreciate you taking the time to go into that realm of trading because so many people think that this is a glamorous lifestyle, right? Or if you're not driving a Lambo, you don't know what you're doing. And, you know, I, I've been preaching that for ages that that doesn't matter. All that matters is following processes. Right? One of these guys said that one of these, I was on some, <laughs> we still laugh about it. I was on somebody's like interview or whatever, and you can see behind me, you see that shade behind me? Yeah. So he was mad because when we were setting it up, that there was too much sunlight coming through. So I had to like lower it. So this shade has like a, a motor that lowers it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I lowered it and you can see like my little filing thing there and it got uh -huh. caught up on it. So it was like half of it was down, half of it was up or whatever. Uh -huh. And one of the guys in the video is like, why should we listen to this guy? It looks like he works at a motel. He lives in a motel six. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you, you want to follow the hot shots. You know what I mean? If you're young and stupid, then you, you, we know as we're older that the people that do that are, are morons. You, you know damn well. It, it doesn't work once, ever, 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 ever. There's never that 23-year-old kid that takes the first, whatever money he makes, a couple hundred thousand dollars he makes, buys his Lambo and shows his cash and, you know, goes to the strip It doesn't even have to be that. He could lease it, right, for a thousand or two thousand. There's only freaking yeah. things you can do. That's the point, right? It's all, you know damn well it's bullshit. I was like, I had a nine-thigh Jackie Chan's 930 Turbo, okay? It took me a year to blow out, right? The more you do that, the more likely you are to blow out, the more you're full of shit. Yeah, as you get older, you <laughs> when it's young, you know, when you're young, you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, I think of the people that I thought were so cool and so successful when I was a kid, and I, and I look at them now, and they're freaking losers, man. <laughs> and they were doing all those things. Look, this is what we do when we're young. You have an ego. You know, you're out in the world. You think getting a sports car is cool. You want to live in a big mansion and get this cool sports car and be going to strip clubs and throwing money around. And, you know, you know, and in, in time you learn that, uh, how stupid that is. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So, Oh man, uh, Jason, this has been, this has been captivating. Let me, let me ask you one quick question and then, then I'll let you get back to watching the markets nonstop. <laughs> it's my nap time actually. Uh, well then I'll let you get back to your nap. If you could give one takeaway, one piece of advice to a trader, somebody who's looking to get started, what would you, what would you say to them? What, what's, what's, what's something, what's your, what's your piece of advice that you would give to somebody wanting to get into this field? Process. I mean, there's a few pieces of advice, but for certainly one will be process. This is all about process. You know, we like to say, um, on my, on my discord page, we say it all the time, getting the trade long or short, right. Is maybe 10% of what matters, you know? It's risk management, right? That's what this game is. Risk management, right? Oh, yeah. Stick along or stick around. Make sure that you stick around long enough to get lucky. That's what you got to do, right? Which means it's risk management. 
you got to get your ego out of there. Oh, I called the market. It went up. It went down. Look how smart I am. That's not going to work over time. You're not going to consistently call the market over time. You're just not. Okay. So this is all about risk management. It's not about being a hero and calling the market. Yes. Get yourself. Like I say, over 60% of my trades lose money. Okay. But my risk management's good. That's all I am. It really is a risk manager, and I'm and I'm looking at you know positioning and all that in order to get the risk reward and, and and deal with the risk management. That's how I choose to look at. But I don't care what you look at. Flip a coin for all I care, right? Yeah. But it, it's all about risk management. Absolutely. That'd be uh, my that, that reminds me. Uh, so when I worked with Larry Height, he was telling me this story about how I met Larry one time. You know. Yeah. When I worked what with Larry, what was his partner's name? Uh, Grzynski or remember this... him? Uh, no, no I don't remember matter. his name. Anyway, I, I was just going to say when I worked with Larry, he was telling me that back in the '60s he ran this, um, this, this, you know, computer that's as big as my house, right? And they did uh, an analysis on random entries, and he said that the random entries with a trailing stop beat the market every time because it was all about the risk and letting your profits run as long as they could. That's it. Larry is Larry yeah. still around? You know, when I talked to him, funny story. The first time we were supposed to meet. He didn't show. And I'm like, oh, my God, I think he died. He's super old. Because he's super old. Yeah. He was never. I mean, to tell you the truth, I met him 20 years. He was never in great shape. Yeah. He's still around. He's still kicking. Um, but, well, last time I talked to him, he was. It was during COVID. Larry Heights a good guy, man. Yeah, for sure. I learned a ton from him. And and I feel like I've learned a ton from you, Jason. And, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to meet with you, to chat with you, and, and to share this with people. Uh, we're going to have this edited and go live in the next week or so. Um, but... You know, as we're moving into 2023, I'm not going to ask you what your uh, opinion is about the market because it doesn't matter. But what's your opinion as far as um, where someone could get started learning about you and learning about the markets? I mean, if I'm going to do a self-promotion, you know, we started this crowded market report about 18 months ago after that book came out. I got a lot of people hitting me up on LinkedIn. Hey, can you teach me how to trade? Hey, can you mentor me? And as I think Larry Height would tell you, as you get older, I'm 55 now, right? Um, you, you want to do that, right? It's almost a part of trading lore is that older traders help younger traders learn how to do this, right? Mm -hmm. um, so while I do want to do that, I, I was getting like, you know, 10 people a day coming to me asking me that because of that I book. And I was like, I can't help 200 people at the same time, you know? And one of those people said to me, well, if you're really getting that many requests, why don't we start a web page where you, you would be able to centralize that? And I said, if you want to do that, that sounds great. And he did. I've, I've never met this guy to this day. He's my partner two years later. Okay. I've never met him in person, which is a phenomenal story, quite frankly. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about it. Um, but we started this web page where I've always written a newsletter on the weekends. I call it a newsletter, but I always wrote sort of a summation on, as part of my process on the weekends to sort of highlight what I'm looking at, what my stuff is saying, what I will be looking to do so that I would be ready to do it if, if certain things happen. That then, as I was writing, that got distributed when I worked at a hedge fund amongst all the, the, the people there, and they seemed to like it. When I ran my hedge fund, I had three clients who were hedge fund managers themselves. I was running their personal money. I would send it to them. They seemed to like it. So I said, why don't you go start this webpage, and we will distribute this, this newsletter. And that was really all it was supposed to be, you know. Um, but he then he got a Discord page on there, which I didn't even know what that was, quite frankly, at the time. Um, but we got this Discord page. Oh, yeah. And then as part of trying to promote this site, 
I started doing videos on YouTube under the same name. So you can go on YouTube. We do a video every week. I try to focus once in a while. I talk markets there, but I really try to focus not on here's what I think the market's going to do. Right. I try to focus on here's what you have to do to be a successful trader. And even in my newsletter, do I give the trades that I'm doing? Yes, I do. But I try to tell people that's not necessarily what you want to do, right? What you want to do is learn how to trade yourself. I want to, you know, I'm hoping to help people, as they say, learn how to fish. You know, I don't want to give them a fish. I want to help them learn how to fish. Because first of all, what happens when I'm not around? Well, what if all my trades are phenomenal and you're making a ton of money, which is not the case. But if it were, okay, then what are you going to do when I die, right? Or when I retire or whatever. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do then, right? B. Uh, a. And B is it's not about that because if you don't, you know, you have to trade you as people say, right? You have to trade yourself, right? You can't trade me, right? I can trade me because this is how I think and this is how I am. And therefore I can trade me. I trade all the time that guys take where and on my Discord, they're like, oh man, I got short that with you, but I got out, you know, a week ago and the thing's 20% lower, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't get that. I have to sit on it and make that 20% more because of all the losing trades. I have, I have to make up. Yes. So not trading you, it's not going to work. Just trading my ideas. It might help. And I think looking at the data that I, that we give, cause we give the COT data and I give an analysis of all that. Right. But I also talk a lot about, you know, the psychology behind trading and all this. And I've been doing this, you know, a long time and I have been a loser myself. Right. <laughs> um, and I have sat with many traders who have most of, of who have lost money. So I can start to see the psychology behind that, right? So I'm sort of trying to pass that along much more than, hey, buy S&Ps here. And like I say, I do say that, right? I do say I'm buying S&Ps here or I'm selling lumber here or whatever I'm doing, but I'm really trying to get the point across of, this is how you have to start to think if you want to succeed at this. Yeah. So that's really the best place to get. And then we kept awesome. it super cheap. You know what I mean? I don't make money off of this thing. My partner does because yeah. he put the whole thing together and he has a full-time job and he has to take care of the whole webpage and all that shit. I don't make money off of it. My money goes right to a charity. So um, that's not what I'm trying to promote, but I am promoting it because we, we I, and you can go and look on that page and look at the testimonials. You know, we don't tell people to write testimonials. We didn't write these up ourselves. We didn't take the bad ones out and leave the good ones in. You know, I really feel like we are, not everybody, because some people don't change, but there have been a lot of people in there that I really feel like we are helping to learn um, how to do this correctly. That is awesome. Jason, let me say one more time, thank you so much for allowing me and, and our traders to learn more about you, more about your company, more about your history, and more about the way that you trade. I, I am incredibly grateful for your time, and I know that you got to get back to your nap. So. No, it's fun. <laughs> Great conversation. I will let you go, sir, and thank you again so much. Have a fantastic afternoon. Thank you. Take it easy. Talk later. Hey, don't forget, head to 10minutetradingroom.com to learn how to effortlessly take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes a day and start trading right beside us in the 10-Minute Trading Room.